Without any further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to all of you now our founding president, our chief, Dr. Warren H. Carroll. This is the year of our Lord 2007, close to the beginning of the 21st century, the third Christian millennium, the 30th year of Christendom College, which we are commemorating this fall, and the 75th year of my life. I regard myself as immensely privileged to have been able to devote so many of my 75 years to the creation, guidance, and maintenance of this college. And I know that under my splendid successor, Timothy O'Donnell, this college will remain unchanged throughout the next 30 years, halfway through the 21st century. I don't know. May God then give us another great president to carry us into the 22nd century. Please join me in praying that our essence will not change through all that time, 200 years. I came into the world in 1932 and have an early memory of the passage of historical time. When I was just seven years old, I noted the end of the 1930s and the beginning of the 1940s. So my first historical memory is of one of the greatest history makers of our age or of any age who proved that one man can change and make history. I watched that one man stand alone against the demonic tide of Hitler's aggression and defeat it. I speak of Winston Churchill in 1940. When I was very young, I thrilled to his clarion cry, we shall fight them on the landing grounds, we shall fight them in the fields and in the streets and in the hills, we shall never surrender. Even if, which I did not for a moment believe, this island should be subjugated and starving, then we shall wait until in God's good time the new world shall come to the rescue and liberation of the old. He made it all happen. He was true to his magnificent motto, in defeat, defiance. Hitler's resolve to conquer and destroy crumbled before Winston Churchill's defiance. I have always been grateful that I grew up during World War II. Though I was too young to serve in our armed forces, I knew men who did, like the driver of our school bus, Walter Clark, who died at D-Day, among the legion of American heroes uh, now passing from this world into our American Valhalla, who lived the words of a popular American song of that era, there's a star-spangled banner waving somewhere, or the land of heroes brave and true, if I do some great deed, I will be a hero, and a hero is what I want to be. All I could do was help my mother watch the skies of the main coast for enemy planes from aptly named Powderhouse Hill in South Berwick, Maine, where the soldiers of the American War for Independence had stored their gunpowder. I had never 
seen anywhere else nor any other time and place the glory and the dedication which filled our country as we expunged the evil of Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, and imperial Japan from the face of the earth. Those who see crisis all around us today do not dismay me, for I have seen real crisis. I have seen General Douglas MacArthur driven out of the Philippines on a PT boat while still proclaiming dauntlessly, I shall return. As a boy, I hung his picture in my bedroom. We Americans were essential to the tremendous victory of 1945, which delivered the world from evil, the most complete victory ever won since the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo. Where Adolf Hitler and his Wehrmacht Luftwaffe today? Where are the warlords of Imperial Japan who struck us without warning at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and sank our battle fleet? For years, one of my most cherished possessions was the issue of Time magazine commemorating VJ Day, our victory over Japan in World War II, with the red rising sun of Japan crossed out by a big black X. I know there can be victory over evil because I saw such a victory won. When Americans are hard beset, we rise to the challenge. It was our airmen of Torpedo Squadron 8 of the Carrier Hornet in the Battle of Midway in June 1942, facing an immense carrier and battleship armada commanded by the ablest admiral since Horatio Nelson, Isoroku Yamamoto of Japan. Our airmen who went into attack with torpedoes so bad they would not explode even if they made a direct hit. Every man in Torpedo Squadron 8 but one died in that attack but they brought the attention of the Japanese anti-aircraft gunners down, to the, down low to the surface of the water where the torpedo planes flew, causing the Japanese anti-aircraft carriers, anti-aircraft gunners to fail to see our dive bombers, which came in high and sank three Japanese carriers in about that number of minutes in the Battle of Midway in June 1942. Before that battle, the Japanese outnumbered us two to one. After our torpedo planes and dive bombers struck on that fateful June day, the odds were dead even. Courage had overcome the odds and changed history. For midway was the battle that doomed Japan. After it, our victory was certain. Like the Torpedo 8 Squadron in the Battle of Midway in 1942 was the 20th Maine Regiment at the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War. They won that battle in that war with a bayonet charge down the hill of Little Round Top after the ammunition had run out. And for it, the 20th Maine Regiment received the only group Congressional Medal of Honor ever awarded. We are not mere playthings of historical trends and forces. A few brave men can make history. I learned that as a boy and had never forgotten it. Fortune favors the brave. The heroes of World War II taught me that. For always, for always, I needed to remember them to stiffen my backbone, for I am a child of the accursed 20th century, the modern age of martyrs, the age of the modernist heresy, first defined by Pope St. Pius X in 1907 and still being fought in its guise of moral relativism by our present Pope, Benedict XVI. This was the age when the greatest man of our time, Pope John Paul II, 
was shot in St. Peter's Square in 1981 by a professional assassin hired by the Bulgarian killers who worked with the Soviet secret police, who since the days of Lenin and Stalin had been the world's foremost experts in murder. It was almost the worst crime in history. But the Blessed Virgin Mary, to whom the Pope John Paul II was devoted, turned the bullet so that it did not pierce any of his vital organs. She had come to our rescue earlier, in 1917 at Fatima in Portugal, answering a heart-rending prayer by Pope Benedict XV, whose papal name our present Pope has taken, to stop the hideous folly of the First World War, when millions of unprotected men coming out of trenches were made to charge machine guns and were mowed down. In all the world then, only Pope Benedict XV and blessed Emperor Karl of Austria even tried to stop the useless slaughter, but they failed. Then Mary promised that Russia would be cleansed of its errors, that her immaculate heart would triumph, and that there would be peace. By now it has all happened, and we are in a different, and let us hope and pray, better century. When speaking of Fatima, let us remember that Pope John Paul II was told at the beginning of his pontificate when uh, Sister Lucia passed on to him the third secret of Fatima, that he would be assassinated by Christ's enemies, as he would have been if Mary had not personally intervened. Can we ask clearer proof that she and her children make history? And what of the courage of this our greatest Pope since St. Peter to go through the first six years of his pontificate knowing that the minions of the devil were going to gut him down? Pope John Paul II, who was vicar of Christ during most of our lifetimes of our present students, was a living, walking martyr. God sent him to rescue us, along with the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he did rescue us, more than President Ronald Reagan, more than British Iron Lady Margaret Thatcher. Pope John Paul II defeated communism, and as we had done with German Nazism, Italian fascism and imperial Japan effectively eliminated it from the face of the earth. The communists knew this was going to happen to them. They knew the prophecies of Fatima too. Pope John Paul II was shot on the anniversary of the first apparition of Fatima. The odds against that being a mere coincidence are 365 to one. The communists sought to disprove and defeat Our Lady with a gunshot but she gloriously assumed into heaven is forever beyond their reach. We have God's own promise that the forces of hell will never prevail against the church. Pope John Paul II proved that promise valid once again. Communism fell with a crash heard round the world in the fall of 1991 as the 20th century was nearing its end. I had seen us delivered from evil before and wanted the defeat of communism in 1991 to be just as complete as the defeat of Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, and imperial Japan in 1945. I wanted to see another big black X drawn to the red hammer and sickle. By then I had been working in government for several years and the found anti-communists as resolved as I to kill this monster once and for all. I brought them together for a time in what we call the Nike Group, aiming to coordinate strategies in our government for total victory over communism. One member of the Nike Group was Andrew Iva, immigrant to our country uh, and West Point graduate, 
grandson of the chief of staff of the Lithuanian army between the two world wars, whose native land lay under the Soviet heel, as fierce as any communist as I've ever known. He called communism the death machine. He went on his own to fight with the Afghans against the Soviet Union. Andrew Iva commanded the defense of the Lithuanian parliament building in 1991 against Soviet Russian attack. He lined up Molotov cocktails to incinerate them if they broke in. Another member of our Nike group was Herbert Romanstein, who had been a communist in his youth and so knew the face of the monster and had become a world expert on communism's bloody history. The Nike group played a small part in the great triumph of 1991, the second deliverance from world evil I had known. If anyone ever tries to tell you that the fall of communism was some kind of trick or fake, pay no attention. I gave half my life to fighting it, and I know when it is dead. The key to the accursed 20th century is the dread vision given to Pope Leo XIII in 1887 that in the next century, the devil would be let loose upon the world to do his worst. So terrifying was this vision that, beholding it, Pope Leo fainted on the spot, and though he, as though he had suffered a stroke or a heart attack. On recovering, he ordered that a special prayer be said at every Mass in all the world, asking the Archangel Michael to defend us against evil. When the devil possessed Rasputin, destroyed the reputation of the Tsar and his family in Russia, paving the way for the Communist Revolution, I believe, as I explained in my lecture last month, that the Archangel Michael himself came down from heaven to kill it, when men after men had tried fruitlessly no less than ten times to do, do so, in answer to all the prayers asked for his aid against the devil. This requirement of prayer to the Archangel Michael after Mass, along with uh, much else, was removed by the Second Vatican Council, after the Second Vatican Council. The Council itself did not say that, but afterwards it, it was done. But some priests and laities still say it, though the accursed 20th century, thanks be to God, is finally behind us. But you will search in vain in most history books, except those I have written or am writing, to find any mention of this pivotal event. For years I could not even find a footnote reference for this vision of Pope Leo XIII, until my friend Father Brendan Kelly found one on the internet. It is omitted entirely from two separate biographies of Pope Leo XIII, which I have checked. Such is the condition of the profession of history in our secularized and modernist world. I grew up with the university. My father, Herbert Carroll, was chairman of the psychology department of the University of New Hampshire for many years. At that department today, they still give student awards in his name and keep his picture on their wall. I would sometimes visit his classes as a boy. He and my mother, Gladys Hasty, met and married at Bates College in Maine, which I also attended as an undergraduate. They always retained fond memories of Bates College. My mother attended reunions of her class, 1925, at five-year intervals, almost up to her death at the age of 95. Bates College now is very different from what it was in their time. By the way, 
uh, mentioned my mother living to be 95. If I live to be 95, I'll be here for the 50th anniversary, and I'm aiming for that. <laughs> Bates College now is very different from what it was in their time. For example, the modern Bates College has taken down the cross under which my parents were married, replacing it with a garish display of trendy banners. We must resolve never to let our college degenerate like this. Bates College in my mother's day instilled in her a transcendent purpose, which she passed on to me, to make a contribution to our country and to the world. Her contribution was 26 books about the spiritual greatness of her native state of Maine. Mine was this college. For years I dreamed of a college or university which would change the world. Here at Christendom College we have two watchwords. The first is truth exists, today widely denied in mainstream colleges and universities. Thanks to being God and my mother, I have always believed that truth exists. Then when I became a Catholic due to the prayers of my dear wife and the sterling example of the man I worked for, Catholic hero John Schmitz, the subject of my lecture here in March, I added the second watchword, the incarnation happened. These five words sum up all that Christendom College teaches. I wanted to create a training ground for the apostles of the future. That is what Christendom College has been, is, and God willing, will always be. One of the finest compliments ever paid to this college was that it was by one of our early students when she said, this is a place where it's easy to be good. We send forth not only our, our graduates, but also their children, who more and more are attending this college. Good marriages are made in heaven, and Christendom College has become a place where God makes them. I call them Christendom marriages. I think of Damien Dodge, a graduate of the Naval Academy, who married Christy Coy, whose sister is here tonight, uh, whose luminous intellect my wife and I had the pleasure and the honor to teach. And I think of their baby son, Philip Dodge, just born this year. Know his name, he will be heard from in the 21st century. <laughs> Consider our graduates who, made their, who will make their mark on history. I wish I could pay tribute to all of them by name, but since that is impossible, I will mention just a few to represent and stand for all the fine Christendom graduates who are now and will be bringing the new springtime to our church and to our country. First, I will mention Christopher Mears, valedictorian of the class of 1997, who gave his valedictory address on the history and purpose of this college. I, the founder, could not have explained it better than Chris Mears did. Perhaps that's not surprising, for his father, Jeffrey Mears, was my comrade from the beginning, this college's first director of development. Chris Mears is the most brilliant student my wife and I have ever taught. He went to her Seton School as well as to this college. Chris Mears will be heard from in this country and in the world. He will be a star in the sky of the 21st century. <clears throat> then consider Father Francis Peffley, another graduate of this college whom I had the pleasure and honor to teach in the late 20th century. He is now pastor of Holy Trinity Parish in Gainesville, where he's building their church. 
He organized our diocese pilgrimage to the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception this year, commemorating the 90th anniversary of Our Lady's apparition in Fatima. Father Pefli is still a young man, highly, highly uh, respected by all who know him. I think he will be a bishop someday, one of the successors of the apostles. He is devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary and to her rosary. He will be a great priest in this diocese, influencing many people, fostering many vocations to the priesthood and to the consecrated life, building the kingdom of God. Fran Peffley will make his mark. Then consider Brendan McGuire of the class of 2003, who was just hired to teach history at this college, and I think he's here, who had only a, uh, the only straight A record ever attained here. Not surprisingly, he was a valedictorian. Like Chris Maris, he spoke splendidly at his graduation on the nature and purposes, purpose of this college. Brendan McGuire, now just 24 years old, will go on to make his mark on the nation and on the world in the 21st century. Brendan McGuire and his wife Susan Irwin of the class of 2003 have just had a baby son, Joseph Anthony, known his name. He will also be heard from in the 21st century. And consider a student, student now attending this college, a member of our class of 2009, Casey Dufresne. <laughs> at, the age, at the age of 17, Casey read cover to cover one of the great books of the 20th century, Whitaker Chambers' autobiography, Witness, a book also read by a late great President Ronald Reagan, who said it changed his life. It certainly changed mine, making me into a lifelong anti-communist. I read it at Columbia University in the summer of 1955. Columbia University was where Chambers had been recruited in the Communist Party in the 1920s. Witness tells what communism really was and how Chambers, though a communist, broke free from it, exposed the traitor Alger Hiss, and found in God the ultimate answer to communism. Casey Dufresne represents the current generation of Christendom students who, who, who will also make their marks on the nation, perhaps on the world. He also attended my wife's Seton School, to which he hopes to return as a teacher. Several of our graduates have come recently to teach at Seton School, such as Julie Abernathy and Andrea Nolan. They represent the many Christendom graduates who are teachers, who can and will find and inspire future Christendom college students. We should also speak of the next generation, which will shape the 21st century. I think again of Philip Dodge and Joseph Anthony McGuire, just born this year. If they're anything like their parents, they will grow up to help win the 21st century for Christ. I do not know if Philip and Joseph Anthony will attend Christendom College, but if they want to, he will be here for them. If you keep it pure, with their heritage, they too will be heard from. 
I know the vast potentials God can realize in every newborn human being. Back when I watched the new year of 1940 come in, I never could have imagined that I would become a Catholic, found this college, and see arise a chain of similar colleges all across the country, this country and the world. Southern Catholic College in Georgia, Wyoming Catholic College, Campion College in distant Australia, founded by a man whose daughter attended this college. A chain of new colleges in Eastern Europe, founded by Father Marcel Garnizo, president of the age of age of the church in Russia, whose Carmelite sister I had the privilege and honor to teach. Perhaps Pope John Paul II was right when he told me toward the end of the 20th century, when I was introduced to him in Rome as the founder of this college, that I had done a great work for the church. Words which will be inscribed on my tombstone. I have contended with the devil himself for this college. I have felt, perhaps I should say smelt, his fearful presence. I learned how to fight the devil from a passage in C.S. Lewis' great novel, Paralandra, which I read as a boy of 11. It was C.S. Lewis who gave me the intellectual foundations of my Christianity, supplementing the graces conferred upon me because of my wife's prayers. In Paralandra, Lewis's fictional narrator, on his way to on his way to see Lewis' Christian hero, Ransom, walks through the night in deserted country with his mind filling with strange terrors suggested by the devil. Great holiness can guard against such evil suggestions. But for ordinary people like me, the only way is perseverance. Just keep going, whatever the devil does and whatever he makes you think. Just keep putting, putting one foot in front of the other. Never stop, never fault. Fortunately, Maine men are good at that. When I came to realize how much the devil wanted to stop us, I was all the more sure that this college was doing God's work. I also want to take a moment to pay tribute to all those who have served well on our board of directors. Again, I have time to mention only a few. First, Robert, Father Robert Morey, a former lawyer who is now a priest in the Archdiocese in Baltimore, serving in Hagerstown, just north of here and then Robert Monahan of Wall Street, who recently resigned from our board and moved to our advisory board. We're also blessed to have on our board now Bob Sirkovich, who is proud to be the son-in-law of John Schmitz. The man does not live who can manipulate Bob Sirkovich or induce him to portray us. The heroic spirit of John Schmitz lives on in his daughter and son-in-law. The present chairman of our board, Donna Bethel, is a great Catholic leader who has steered our board through times of trial and triumph. Let me speak also of the faculty of this college for good teachers of the heart and soul of any educational enterprise. First, Raymond O'Haran, an original member of our faculty, he was the very first who is still teaching for us. Ray was an electrical engineer when he came to us. He switched to philosophy and catechetics. He has taught the fundamentals of the Catholic doctrine to every class of this college since our first. Early in our history, he became director of discipline, a thankless but essential job in any college, but especially in one like ours.
have raised children have attended Christendom College. Every year on St. Patrick's Day, Ray sings that great Irish song, Four Green Fields. I always think of Ray and his sons and the students he has taught the fundamentals of our faith when I hear those great lines in that song about the strangers who tried to take one of Ireland's four green fields from the final woman who symbolizes Ireland. And my sons have sons as brave as were their fathers. Then I want to speak of William Marshall, the only original member of our faculty except Ray O'Haran, who is still teaching for us. In the days of Triumph magazine, in so many ways the seedbed of this college, Bill Marshall was one of its editors. In more recent years, he helped to edit the collection of Triumph articles and commentary which our press published early in this new century, the best entitled The Best of Triumph. Bill Marshner enlivened our meetings at his house in Warrington with his rendition of Irish songs, which you may still hear on any St. Patrick's Day at this college. He gave his house the name of Menedict Farms, surely the only house in Virginia named for the great Austrian statesman and Catholic who rebuilt Europe after Napoleon's devastation, guided the Congress of Vienna, and put down revolution for a generation. At Metternich Farms, we prepared for the task of restoring all things in Christ. Now I want to speak of Kristen Popic Burns, who has already spoken to you, I understand, the first woman to receive a doctorate in philosophy from the Angelican in Rome. Our first dean of women, a student of the late great Dr. Frederick Williamson of the University of Dallas, a man I can truly and proudly call my friend, who inspired me with a lasting love of Spanish history. Dr. Wilhelmson was a Catholic firebrand, a metaphysician, an active Carlist, and the finest lecturer I have ever heard. He was also a brilliant writer with a scintillating intellect. He has been called a citizen of Rome. That is the title of the collection of his writings published several years ago, which I urge all of you to read. I'm sure we have a copy in our library. Dr. Wilhelmson was a master of the clinching argument for the existence of God. The argument from contingency that there must be one transcendent being who gives all of us existence, whose very name is I Am. I will always remember Dr. Wilhelmson lecturing on how all of us rejoice in our God-given existence, describing us as ising. At the University of Dallas, Chris Popick joined the group inspired by Triumph Magazine and by Dr. Wilhelmson called the Sons of Thunder, of the sons of Zebedee, James and John in the New Testament, though I suppose in her case she would be a daughter of thunder. Chris is now the, the dean and shining light of the Notre Dame Graduate School of Christendom College, which was founded years ago by Monsignor Eugene Gavan, a blessed memory, and merged with our college a few years ago. I must also pay tribute to the late great editor and publisher of Triumph Magazine, L. Brent Bozell, Jr., a man who literally gave his life for Christ, who, like Pope John Paul the Great, walked among us as a living martyr. I have never known a man who suffered so much as Brent Bozell, all in Jesus' name, making up, in the words of St. Paul, whatever may be lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I believe Brent Bozell must have skipped purgatory because he had his purgatory here on earth. I remember him doubled over in pain as he prepared to climb the stairs in our old main building. 
In more than one, one ways than one, Brent Bozell inspired Christendom College. We are part of his monument. Now he is with God at last, beholding the beatific vision. Give thanks to God for the life and indestructible faith of Brent Bozell. Finally, I want to speak of the link between this college and my old boss and godfather, John Schmitz, Catholic hero, congressman, and United States president and candidate, who was the subject of my lecture here in March. In his last years, John Schmitz took much pride in this college, which he, which he, since he had helped to make me a Catholic. His daughter, Terry, married Chris Mannion, who now teaches political science here. Chris is the son of Clarence Mannion, former dean of the Notre Dame Law School and staunch defender of the Catholic faith. And John Schmitz's youngest daughter, Elizabeth, whose birth I vividly remember, is married to Bob Sukovich, now a member of our board of directors. The graduates of Christendom College and its graduates to come and their children will know and help to sanctify the 21st century as I knew the 20th. Men and women make history, so many of you will help to bring Christ back to a world which has now almost forgotten him. What we launched 30 years ago will change our country and the world. Thanks to all of you who are here today, who have been part of the history, triumph, and glory of this college. It is your duty to keep it as it is, as far into the future as you can carry it, in your time and your children's time.